Good morning. My name is Dan Miller. I'm one of the elders here at Grace Fellowship. Um, if you're new, you probably aren't aware of this, but my family and I have been in North Africa for the past year. We got back about two months ago. And so if you've been coming here for a while, that's why you haven't seen me. We're in Hebrews chapter 4 today, so take a moment and turn there. Nothing gets you thinking about God quite like an encounter with death. This happened to me a few weeks after my family moved to North Africa last year. I was finishing up a prayer walk, and I was asking God to work in the hearts of all the Muslims we had met so far. And as I finished, I opened my eyes, and I looked up, and I saw the scariest sight that I would see that entire year. I saw a very large graveyard. You ever see one, and you just weren't expecting it? This was like no other graveyard I'd ever seen in America. I mean, these graves, sure, they were, they were packed closely together, left and right. It's normal in a crowded city. But this graveyard measured maybe two or three feet from the, um, from the front of one grave to the back of the next. The rows were so small. And I, I wondered to myself, how does the body fit? So I asked an experienced teammate who was with me, and this is what he said. Muslims bury their dead on the side in the fetal position so that in death they can face east to Mecca, which is their holy city. And then I looked out again and reality hit me. As far as I know, everyone in this graveyard is under the judgment of God. Here you can be fooled, there not so much. It might sound strange, but do you know that there's a story in your Bible a lot like this? In fact, if you were here last week, you actually heard it. It's the story of Israel, God's people, right after they were rescued out of Egypt, God had promised them rest in a good land. But they didn't want it. And so in the wilderness, that whole generation became a graveyard. And as far as we know, every person there is also under the judgment of God. Same graveyard. Friends, though people are laid to rest, not everybody gets to rest in peace. Have you forgotten that? Because I use that word rest for one reason. It's going to come up a lot today. And when you hear that word rest, you might think of many different things. Some of you might think of death. Probably not. Most of you probably think of either sleeping or not working. Well, in Hebrews 4, 
Here's what the author is thinking of. You ready? Rest is closeness to God. In Exodus, this rest, this closeness, was described kind of like a place. A land where God would be close to his people. But for us, as we'll find out today, rest is something more. Something better. It's not found on a map. It's not really even a day of the week where you sleep or don't work or try not to. It's a new reality. You're close to God forever. And here's how. Jesus makes closeness to God possible. And so that's worth fighting to believe. Let me say it again. Jesus makes closeness to God possible, and that is worth fighting to believe. But since there's a gap between that rest and Israel's rest, this will take some time to explain. And it's not as easy as you might think. So let me start in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 1. I'm going to read to an awkward ending in verse 3. Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear let any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. For good news came to us just as them, but the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who believed, those who listened. For we who have believed enter that rest, as he has said, As I swore in my rest, they shall not enter my rest. Friends, the first thing we learn about this fight for rest, being close to God, is that that hearing God does not equal closeness to God. Hearing God does not equal closeness to God. Let me start in verse 2. They... That's Israel. They heard good news, but it didn't benefit them because they didn't listen. Let me explain this problem. It's the problem that all of us have. It's that we hear a lot, but the words don't always go in. They don't stick. Do we listen to all of them? No. I mean, sometimes it's harmless, you know, like tuning out advertisements. But I'm talking about something a bit more serious. Okay, tell me if this is you. Maybe your friend or your spouse or your spouse who's also your friend. Maybe they come in the room and they come in to talk to you and you're sitting on your couch and you're on your phone. And... Maybe five minutes later, you could have sworn noises happened. And uh, you've just been nodding and saying, yep, uh-huh. And then you look up and you see their face and they say the words that cut your soul in half. What did I just say? And then you feel bad feelings. 
<laughs> Oops. <laughs> Is that what happened to Israel? Well, let's unpack verse 2 a little bit more. So who's supposed to be listening? Well, there's, there's us in verse 2. Okay, that's the audience of Hebrews. They seem to be doing fine. We'll, we'll get back to them later. But there's also a them. If you've been listening, help me out. Who's them in verse 2? Israel. God was speaking to them. And he spoke good news. And the good news was that he would rescue them from Egypt and take them to the promised land. In other words, what they heard from God was, come away from Egypt and be close to me. Come and rest. And Israel said, no. They complained to Moses. And they'd even go on to say that they would rather be in Egypt. So did they hear God? Yes. Did they listen? No. This is more than an oops. This is a lot worse than a distraction on a phone. Actually, you know what? Husbands, let me pick on you because that was probably you anyway with the phone thing. It was for me. This scene is more like if you were on your phone and your beautiful wife comes in and for a moment you look up, congratulations, and she asks you to help pack for an anniversary trip that she has been planning for years. And you look at her and you do this. And you look down at your phone. Somebody is not going to be close to their spouse. That's bad, right? You know what? For Israel, I didn't go hard enough. It's worse. Because Israel would actually go on and they would make and they would worship other gods. So husbands, this is more like your wife did all that planning and she comes in and she talks about this anniversary trip and you go psh, back to your phone and what's on your phone? You're planning a romantic getaway with someone else. Oops. This verse says a lot. Could that be you and God? Do you know that you can be hearing God and be far from Him? Has anybody ever told you that you can go to church your whole life and you can hear every sermon and you cannot be a Christian? Has anyone told you? Have you listened? You can go to Christian conferences. You can go to all of them. Kids, you can watch Christian shows. And you can be taught by Christian teachers at Christian schools. You can listen to Christian music all day, every day, until your parents can't hear. Big kids, 
You can watch every episode of The Chosen. College students, you can get involved with a fellowship and you can play Christian music in your dorm all day long. It's not bad. Can't listen if you don't hear. But it is possible to look alive in Jesus and be in a graveyard. That's bad news. How do we respond? We go back to verse 1. There's the application. Let's look for it. Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear, lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. You see that application? If anyone here even seems to be in danger of not listening, if anyone here has a whiff of resembling what I just described, the right response is fear. It is so easy to live a double life, isn't it? To sing the songs, to take the sermon notes, to stay for small groups, bonus points, and to go home and go back to your other life with your other gods. What's on your phone? What is on your phone? That can happen here. That can be you. It could be any of us. So here's one thing we can do to start. It's actually what we shouldn't do. Don't measure your closeness to God by the amount of time you spend doing Christian things. Don't measure your closeness to God by the amount of time you spend doing Christian things. Maybe you just write it all out. Write all the stuff you do and look at it and say it's good, but so what? What is this actually doing? Well, this is hard. So you know what? Let me go first. Okay? When I was over in North Africa, guess what I didn't have? I didn't have a church building. There were no Christian conferences. There's no coffee and bulletins and free bread. There were no Christian movies playing in the theaters. There were no Christian concerts. No VBS. We didn't have Christmas. You know what? I couldn't talk to anybody about it because nobody spoke English. It all got taken away. And do you know how I felt? I didn't feel very close to God. I got fooled. If I can get fooled, you can get fooled. If you lost all those things, who would you be? Would you still be close to God? I figured it out, but that's the end of the sermon. Maybe you're thinking, okay, if we don't measure closeness to God that way, how do we measure it? I don't like feeling like this. 
Well, we're going to get to solving the problem soon enough. For now, I need to show you this very big closeness problem and that any of us might have the problem right now. Because there's a cost to it. Sometimes we need to linger in that cost. Because Israel wasn't close to God and it cost them everything. God's people didn't get God's rest. Tragedy. And that was because God's rest is the only rest that matters. And it can't be found anywhere else. So let me reread the beginning of verse 3 and take us to verse 5. As I, as God, swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest, although his works were finished from the foundation of the world. For he has somewhere spoken of the seventh day in this way, and God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again in this passage he said, they shall not enter my rest. Not a long point here. God's rest belongs to God. Look at all the examples. Look at verse 3. God's works were finished from the foundation of the world. Verse 4. God rested on the seventh day from his works. And again, verse 5. They, Israel, shall not enter my rest. Now, God's rest, just to explain in verses 3 and 4, that happened after the creation of the world in Genesis. His people were with him, Adam and Eve, and they were in a very good land. Huh, wait, that sounds like Israel. Then they turned away from God. Wait a minute, that sounds like Israel. Then God sent them away. Wait a minute, that sounds like Israel. Who's left in the restful paradise? God and anybody who's close to him. Who's close to him right now in Genesis? Nobody. Maybe the animals. I don't know. Um, Not just the people who hear him. That's who. Sorry, no application yet. We'll get to that. We need to follow the tension. This problem is big. Can anybody get close to God? Well, let me read verses 6 and 7. Since, therefore, it remains for some to enter it, and those who formerly received the good news failed to enter it because of disobedience, again, he appoints a certain day, today, saying through David so long afterwards, and the words already quoted, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Some good news in verse 6. The doorway to, we- the doorway to rest is open, and some entered. Wait, is the door still open? Uh, look, look at verse seven. There's a there's a day to enter the rest. There's a day. It's today. Wait, is that? Are we? Can we stop being awkward? Can we get to the fun part? Wait, that is for the original audience. Who is the original audience of verse seven? Well, if you heard Psalm ninety five, if you were listening. That was written by King David of Israel. Israel. Wait a minute. The audience is Israel. After Exodus, they actually got into the promised land eventually. So are they close to God? I mean, they're they're in the promised land. 
Well, apparently, maybe not. King David here is, is pleading with them. And this quote is him looking back at the wilderness in fear. Today, Israel, if you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts. Don't go to those other gods like your ancestors did. Huh, maybe it's not about a plot of land. Something's changing. So did Israel listen this time? Well, mostly no. Did it get better with time? Definitely no. After this, after this, uh, this timeline of Psalm 95, God keeps pleading with Israel. They're in the promised land. And he sends prophets, and one of them was named Jeremiah. And they just keep pleading with Israel. Stop doing it. And Jeremiah says this. It's from Jeremiah 25. I'll just read it. He said this to Israel. The word of the Lord has come to me and I have spoken presently to you, but you have not listened. It kept happening. And God did what every good parent does when their kid doesn't listen. He raises his voice. And Israel loses their land of rest. The promised land becomes a graveyard. Man. Is it over? Is that it? What about the rest? Well, it's it's not. There is real hope. And it's actually for us. Verses 8 through 10. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So then, there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. Finally, some kind of good news. God's rest is still available It is available, and here's the proof. Israel failed. What? Well, Joshua's generation, the one after those dead in the wilderness, they made it into the land, and they lost it. But then prophets like Jeremiah continued to speak of rest, and it wasn't a place, it was a day coming. Loss of the land pointed us to something deeper. Rest remained. Verse 9. Here it is. There remains a Sabbath rest. What is the Sabbath? Is that it? Well, the Sabbath is a day set aside by God, ironically, around the time they were getting into trouble in the wilderness. It was a day. For Israel to rest from their work as God did after creation. Okay, rest is a day. Is it today? I mean, I'm a Christian. Our Sabbath, it's Sunday. Is this it? Is this rest? Man, I hope not. I'm exhausted. It's not even lunch. How about you? How's your Sabbath? 
Now, that's something more according to verse 10. Whoever has entered into God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his friends. That's present tense. It's like a new reality. Has entered. He's writing to people that are alive. Huh. All this takes us back to Genesis, those words in verse 10. God rested from his works as, or we, anybody in that rest enters from, uh, rest from work as God did from his. This takes us back to Genesis after creation in paradise, but guess what's not there yet? Sin. That's the rest we're talking about. Closeness to God. God's rest is that. To be near God in a perfect world without sin. That's the good news. How do we get that? I want that. The author of Hebrews has already told us at the beginning of the book. Let me just read the first words of Hebrews. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, like Jeremiah. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purifications for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. You get close to God by believing in Jesus. Because Jesus is God. Look back at verse 3 in chapter 4. We skimmed past it because I had to focus on the hearing problem. This is us, or anyone believing, for we who believe enter that rest. Belief in Jesus, God's rest. Friends, in Jesus, God came close. Did you ever think about that? You could look at him. He came to Israel. And he said things like, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you... Thank you. (laughs) Did they listen? Some did, but most didn't. In fact, they cast him out of his own promised land, and they put him on a cross. That's what they did. And they put him in a grave. And that's how he purified their sins. They were so far away. And God said, you know what? I'm going in. And God raised Jesus up. And to those who listened and believed, God gave his Holy Spirit. That's God in you. That's how close you can get to God. 
It's a down payment on that rest. We're not even to paradise yet. It's not about a plot of land. You can take God to the world, even North Africa. So how do we apply this? Believe in Jesus as your hope for rest. Now, if you do believe, just wait a few more minutes. You'll get your application. But if you're not sure about Jesus or you're realizing you've been leading a double life, I need to tell you something about rest. You don't get it without trusting in Jesus. Because Jesus is God. In fact, let me share a verse with you that I said a lot in North Africa. You ready? No notes. Kalahum Yeshua, Anahotreak, Wilhak, Wilhayet, Hetiwahed, Meakadology, Landelab, Blabia. What did I say? Aren't you listening? They don't speak English over there. I'll translate. Jesus said to them, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. I said that to a bunch of Muslims. You know what? They heard. Some wouldn't listen. Some did. Graveyard got a little smaller. Will you? Verse 1 is for you too. The promise of God's rest still stands. Believe in Jesus. Don't listen to what Islam and other religions teach. Don't, don't try to work your way to God. You trust in Jesus' finished work. And then you work. Specifically, you fight to keep believing in Jesus. That's our last point. It's the last three verses, starting in verse 11. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest, so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Let us fight hard. That's what strive means. A good definition is to earnestly fight. And the reason why we fight, if you've been listening, is that believing in Jesus is very hard work. You can't just come to church and hear. You need to listen. And your own body will fight this. There's one way to rest. God's rest, and it's Jesus. So we fight to believe that. And we do it together. How's that going to feel? It's going to hurt. That's verse 12. The word of God is living, active, sharper than a sword. Pierces 
dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow, cutting to the heart. It's even worse than what's on your phone. You have a clean phone and a dirty heart. This cuts deep. You can't fool God's word. By the way, God's word is both the message of God and it's a kind of a nickname for his messenger, his son, Jesus. You couldn't fool Jesus. Jesus met some very good-sounding religious leaders. They probably went to all the conferences. They might have taught. You know what he called them? Graves. The Bible does the same thing. Let it not be white noise. Background music. Let it cut you. It's a redemptive cut, like a scalpel. Like surgery on your dead heart. Have you ever been cut like that? God's word can cut you deeply to save your life. You might even use it to help somebody here. Maybe you read it and you listen or you read it to someone and they listen and they realize, God, I've been drowning you out. I've been leading a double life and I don't think there's a way back. Help me believe. You're coming out the grave if you're saying that. You can spare yourself and others here from trying to find God's rest somewhere else. Maybe you think it's a plot of land. You know, maybe a house, family in it, workplace, some other workplace. Those things may not be bad, but they will fail you or they're going to end. God's rest isn't like that. And if you catch yourself or others trusting in the Sabbath for God's rest or alienating their family to get their version of it, don't. Let them do it. Grab your sword. The Bible sword, not the real sword. And even in the midst of that, if you find the rest here failing you, let it. Let even the failure of the perfect rest of the Sabbath point you to an even better rest. Let it point you to God. There's no other way to be close to Jesus than that. You can't be close to God without Jesus. Don't run away. You can't. All this belongs to God. He's not concerned with a little plot of land. Whole earth is his. Rest and judgment are his. And that's what makes the last verse so terrifying. This is future tense. And present tense. No creature is hidden. All are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. On that day, when you see that, you won't be able to hide. Dress clothes, conferences, accolades. Even the memory verses you know. 
You might fool all of us, but you won't fool God. God's word will cut you. It will be a scalpel today, or it will be a sword on that day. You pick. On that day, every grave will be empty. Not everybody goes to rest. So friends, fight to believe that. Fight. It's only one way. Jesus alone makes closeness to God possible. And that's worth fighting to believe. Our story began in the graveyard, but it doesn't have to end there. Let us fight to believe in Jesus, who alone can take us home to God for rest. Let's pray. God, it is so easy to just come here, to go through the motions. God, but if we know anything from your word, we're either moving towards you or we're moving away. God, help us to press in when it hurts. That's what confession looks like. That's what your word looks like when it cuts us. When we do it, it hurts. That's why we normally don't do it. That's how we press in. It hurts to be near God. But Jesus, you died so that we wouldn't. Help us to believe that. Amen.